Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Hey guys, it's me again. I just quickly wanted to remind you that all the show notes with the links and resources we mentioned in this episode are available on my blog. So head there now and leave a comment for me or our guest and we'll respond. And you can also find the entire archives of all the episodes from the Wellness Wonderland podcast and catch up on those at thewellnesswonderland.com slash podcast dash two. And if you guys are digging the show, it would be super duper awesome if you guys could leave me a review and a rating over on iTunes. It would be so helpful to bring more people to the show. Thank you guys so, so much for listening and leaving a review. And without further ado, here is this week's podcast. Welcome back, everyone. I am super excited to be back in Wonderland today because one of my mentors is here. Jonathan Fields is in Wonderland as my interviewee, and he's an awesome guy. He's a dad, a husband, a serial entrepreneur, award-winning author, speaker, and my personal favorite, he's the host of my favorite show, Good Life Project. It's I've talked about it before on the blog, and it's an awesome place where he interviews the best world shakers, visionaries, and entrepreneurs, and it's a really eclectic group, and the show is so genuine, and it's massively inspired me, and I've learned so much from it, and it's greatly what inspired me to form this podcast. So it's a real honor to be interviewing Jonathan rather than him being the interviewer, and that's really cool because his insights are actually my favorite part of um, the interviews. He chimes in in between um, his guests' responses and their story, and I I always love what he has to say and some of the insights that he can bring to the conversation. So I'm super excited to have more of those in this conversation. So a little bit more about Jonathan. He has been featured everywhere from the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal to Fast Company, tons more places. And his latest book, Uncertainty, Turning Fear and Doubt into Fuel for Brilliance, was named the number one personal development book of 2011. So I'm super excited to chat with you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for stopping by the Wellness Wonderland. Uh, it's my pleasure. I don't know if I can, I'm, I'm going to have to try and rise to the uh, to the level of accolades in your your very kind intro. Oh, it will be so easy. So I guess the the best place to start. I totally stole this line from you, and you're an amazing storyteller, right? And and that's what you do, and you tell these stories so beautifully through an art, which I think is conversation. I think conversation is a real art, whether you know you're in a coffee shop or you know right now like we are. Um, on Skype. And I, I've heard you talk before about the power of 
being in person with people but it's I think when we can really go deep and have these you know deep conversations even if you know right now we're in different geographical locations so that it has to be on Skype but when you can really get there with someone and tell a story I think that's super awesome so as you say I'd love to zoom the lens back where your story started and kind of bring us up to the present with um, where you are now sure um, how far back do you want me to go <laughs> I don't know. Um, I feel like I have a really good, I've been kind of like immersing myself with you and I just heard you on the Rich Roll podcast. So I feel like I, I know a lot of it and it's so awesome. But maybe just fill in a, a few of the gaps and kind of give us a taste of um, all the kind of things you've um, had your hand in and, and sure. how you decided to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, I didn't really, I think entrepreneurship chose me. I didn't really choose yeah. it. It's kind of been in my blood since I was a kid. I was a lemonade stand kid, mowing lawns. I, had my first company that I sold in college, so it's um, it's kind of just been uh, you know, sometimes better, sometimes for worse. It's it's it kind of chose me, and um, and I did a short aberration as a lawyer. Um, <laughs> still trying to figure that whole thing out, but uh, I I went to law school. I practiced. I was very fortunate to to have done done well in school and had some nice opportunities and. Uh, Ended up um, in the hospital, actually, and uh, a bit of a wake-up call, and that sent me back out to explore what I really wanted to do, and it sent me back to entrepreneurship. And so I've kind of always straddled these um, these deep interests in in making uh, making businesses, making art, just the process of creation, and um, exploring what makes people tick, human behavior, um, and that's manifested in businesses and brands built around wellness, around lifestyle, um, fitness, health, yoga, and just really trying to go deep into people's minds and what allows, you know, it's like trying to find the unlock key for human potential, really. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's so cool. And your journey is such a great example of showing that you can connect the dots after the fact where you may not be able to before see how A was so important to point B, but then you looking back, you know, the skills you got as a lawyer could help you later on and, and so forth. So I think that's that's kind of a, the first kind of good takeaway here. Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, and it's, it is absolutely easier to look back and find the thread than, than it is to try and you know, identify it sort of when you're in the middle of the process. Not, not that, you know, I'm done with what I'm, uh, I'm going to create, but at least this point, you know, I, what, when I look back at my journey from there to here, I, I see a pretty, um, a pretty consistent growth pattern. But, um, but from the outside looking in, a lot of people wouldn't identify it because they don't know what drives me until they actually share it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of a common thread or theme through all the people that you interview. You know, when you really go deep in with them through their stories, it's easy for us to see looking back that, you know, A led to B led to C. But for them at the time, you know, they, they had no idea. Maybe they were hitting a bottom or like you in the hospital or something. But those things had to happen to get them um, to where they were ultimately going. So I think that's that's definitely been a lesson through for me through um, what you create and what you've inspired me to create in the conversations that I have now with people here. It's the same thing, using their story as inspiration, not necessarily their whatever they created, right? Yeah, no doubt. I think the story is so powerful. It's, I think it's about the single most powerful communication um, medium and um, – and we're losing a lot of it, to be honest with you. We're we're moving so much into uh, um, 
sort of like a, a rapid fire um, yeah. meme based culture that you know we lose that just that glorious context and the fabric and the soul of the the bigger story. Yeah, and I think that you know that that is something that can get lost when you're not having these conversations, you know, face to face. And I think that's something that it's like it has to be authentic. And that's what I love so much about your conversations is that they are so real and it's like you can't just get get into it with people, right? You know, usually it's like the surface conversations talking about the weather for a while and then you go, you know, it's hard to be like, oh, you you were an alcoholic and now you're really successful. You know, it's hard to go right there to people. So I think that you very organically have these conversations, which is really kind of an awesome thing to watch. And I, I also love how diverse each guest is. You know, you have authors, designers, bloggers. But like I said, there's there's a common thread. And, um, you know, with that, I'd love to know kind of where the original idea for Good Life Project came from and if you could kind of go deep into that for us. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, um, the project kind of comes from a couple of different places. One... Um, the original nugget really started from um, when I I created a <laughs> literally an annual report. Um, it was a reflection uh, looking back at 2011. In the beginning of 2012, I started to write a blog post that was kind of a year in review, and that grew into this massive 40-page designed annual report. And at the end of that, I ended up um, kind of thinking about well, what are my core beliefs about how I bring something into the world, um, whether it's art or business, whatever it may be. And these ten commandments channeled through me, and um, literally it's just like a couple minutes, and they're on the page. I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Super so cool. I, yeah, so I dropped it into the end of that annual report, and I, I issued the whole thing. And the response of the annual report was pretty crazy, but then the response in particular to those ten commandments was super crazy, and. Um, so I, I kind of said, you know, there's something going on here. And, um, and I teased at the time this thing called Good Life Project, but honestly, I didn't know what it was back then. <laughs> I just knew I had a really cool URL. <laughs> but but, uh, but I knew that I wanted to build on that, and it seemed like people were really responding. So we actually started out with the education side of the brand. So right now the brand is actually it's a combination of education, um, uh, inspiration and community, and we started with the education, and um, and then we actually built the uh, the media or the inspiration side of the brand around that, and um, and then the community on top of that. So we kind of did it backwards, if you ask a lot of people, but because um, I'm fortunate to have sort of built a platform, just my own personal platform in the online world for years before that, I was able to to do that a little bit differently than maybe somebody coming new to it, and and now you know the. Um, the show has become something that is really taking on its own life, and uh, it's becoming a body of work. It's becoming a body of evidence that um, almost anybody from any walk of life uh, can go through their own hero's journey and find a way to emerge, uh, you know, and and pursue something that's deeply meaningful. It may not be easy, but uh, when you sort of look at the, you know, we're in our sixth season now of episodes, and you can find yourself. Yeah. in any number of episodes and and any of the excuses that you've been throwing out there to not do something that you want to do uh when you see yourself in these episodes and you see people having the same excuses or or right. far yeah. worse yeah. circumstances and they move through them it kind of makes it hard for you to then say well I can't do that yeah yeah really it calls you out and yeah. and that's what I, that's what I love about it too because you know from 
Michael Gevin to Danielle Laporte. I mean, the people are just amazing that you've, you know, introduced me to or people that I've loved that I've gotten to see. But I really love, you know, again, how diverse it is and not just in, you know, their professions or their, you know, what they bring to the table, but also like their ages and the levels that they're at and the level of fame that they're at. Um, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, with that, I guess I would love to know, like, do you have a favorite conversation or (laughs) a couple conversations that um, stand out in your mind? It's kind of like picking your favorite children. Right. No, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I wouldn't say I have, uh, you know, like a favorite, but I'll say that a couple of really powerful ones that stand out in my mind were um, Brene Brown. Um, We we had met, um, uh, I want to say like a year or two earlier and just kind of developed a a bit of a friendship. We just kind of clicked on a number of different levels. So when she was swinging through New York, we sat down and it was a really um, beautiful conversation. And at the end, when I actually asked her what it means to live a good life, her answer was so powerful, and she she kind of welled up and teared up, and um, and that just the whole conversation was really wonderful. Um, another one that really stands out to me in a powerful way was Milton Glaser, you know, who is the probably the greatest living uh, iconic designer in the world. Yeah. Um, he he's created the, the the most ripped off logo in the history of logos, I Heart NY. And um, he's 85 years old. He still in, is incredibly prolific. He works four days a week, runs a successful design firm in Manhattan, and is, has been teaching for like 40 years. And is just his, the depth of his wisdom and his approach to doing extraordinary work and the way that he's built his life really drew me in. And I just I, I learned so much. I remember walking out of that conversation with him saying, um, I, I, if I could craft my career path to be like his, I would be a happy person. Mm. Well, you're well on your way. Ah, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. That's amazing. I mean, there's, there's so many to me, um, you know, that the conversation with Danielle Laporte, I, I love them all, you know, it's hard yeah, for me to choose was great too, too. But, but that one, um, for me particularly, I've listened to on repeat, like a top 40 mm-hmm. hit, like I haven't memorized at this point, it's like sort of silly, but, um, but I was like a fan of Danielle Laporte before that, but just the questions that you asked and the way that you guys really, you know, like what I was saying before, went so deep into these concepts was really, um, it just really helped me get it. Like it helped it sink in when it was a yeah. conversation. And I think that's, again, a common thread through a lot of the conversations. But Yeah, and I think so. And it's also, you know, um, full disclosure, Danielle and I have been friends for years, so it makes it, it makes it a little bit easier when when we have when we start the conversation with a, a baseline of trust. Like she trusts me to guide a conversation sure. to a place that's you know, potentially pretty revealing because she knows that you know I'll be respectful and that we'll you know and and that space we have a friendship where it's just it lets us go deeper faster. I think um, so. But yeah, that was a that was a great conversation as that's, well. It's just so many. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. That's such a good point to bring up too because it's like you know, you, you're not a journalist anymore. You know, you're a friend and you guys actually are just having a real conversation. I think that's probably why it was so powerful to me, you know, because you weren't there, you know, prying, getting information. You were literally just having a conversation as friends and, and recording it for all of us to enjoy. So Yeah, I mean, I, I, approach, I approach them really as like, hey, if I 
especially because most of the people I, I haven't met before. So I kind of approach this, you know, um, if I was at a dinner party with somebody and I just, I got seated next to this person and like, I, I generally want to know what they're about, you know? And, um, and that's kind of, it's really, that's why a lot of the comments that we get are people are like, they feel like they're sitting in the room with us, yeah. which is really kind of cool because, and, and it's funny also, I don't, they're completely unscripted. There are no questions that are you know, prearranged. Ask you that, yeah. And um, and when we get people, you know, higher profile guests who are media trained, very often we're we're setting up the conversations through their people, through their publicists, and they'll ask for you know, send us a Q and A in advance, and this. And I'm like, there is none. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I, I said, look, I'm, I've, there have been a number of times where I'm like, like I'm happy to create a Q and A for you, but I have to tell you that within a matter of probably thirty seconds, it'll be irrelevant because I don't follow it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, honestly, that's like exactly what you've taught me and that what I, what I kind of do here, I've, I've learned so much from, from listening to the interviews about how to interview. I think you know, I have a ways to go, but I think it's, um, it's definitely helped me in that respect. So I guess with that, how much do you don't prepare necessarily the questions, but how do you prepare going into the interview and booking the content? Do you just kind of immerse yourself in that person? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, like I, I go, I spend some time um, finding out about them, doing some background. If they're, I, I, we've had a fair number of authors on the show too, so I'll, I'll actually read their books, believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> and so we can have a conversation about the books and or or the ideas in the book. You know, we generally don't ever just focus on a book, but mm-hmm. um, we'll talk about the ideas, and um, and I'll kind of have. I'll have points, you know, and it's kind of when I when I speak, if I go keynote somewhere, I, do, I actually do the same thing. I don't ever script anything, um, but I'll go on stage with the back of an envelope and maybe five to ten just thoughts and or stories that I want to weave together. And it's kind of the same thing. I'll you know I'll kind of in the back of my mind I'll have some touch points, um, but I also there are a number of times where, because usually I'll be chatting with a guest before we go on camera, and a lot, you know, we may start like get into a conversation, pretty, and I'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, like yeah. I don't, I don't want you to tell me this now because I don't want to have a canned response to it when, yeah. when we get on, you know, when we're filming, you know, I want it to be just a real conversation, so we'll kind of hold back. So I kind of deliberately stop at a certain point where I don't want to know everything and the full story i don't it's exa- it's funny it's the exact opposite training that has a lawyer you know, one of the rules as a lawyer is never ask a question uh, to which you don't know the answer mm-hmm. and um and and i kind of never want to ask a question uh to which i know the full answer yeah yeah i can i can totally relate to that i mean i have i just aired number 35 today Congrats. Michael, Ge- michael gevin actually from i found through you and mm-hmm. um and and you know I've got a couple more under my belt on my computer and the thing was like I've noticed I have more fun when I don't know the person and it's like I get to really organically find out this stuff and it's also fun to hear them you know say things in a different way and they're actually talking to me opposed to listening to them on a podcast or another interview so I mean that's definitely cool and you can go deeper and you can ask questions but there is something to be said for asking a question and genuinely like using your curiosity to drive the conversation. Yeah and curiosity is really a huge word and that's one of the big learnings for me and one of the common threads with with many of the guests has been an insanely high level of curiosity among them like when I look at the people who are exceptional performers who've accomplished amazing things in life. 
um, and, and move through some really big barriers and challenges in their lives. This extraordinarily high level of curiosity has been this consistent thread. Um, and, and I actually keyed in on that pretty early on in our filming. We actually filmed, um, we were filming Dan Ariely, who's this legendary behavioral economist and bestselling author and Duke professor. And, uh, and, and after we wrapped filming, he, he was, um, one of the, our crew had tattoos all over his body. So he started asking about the meaning and the story behind all the tattoos. And he just, he stayed there with, he just wanted to know more and more and more. And I was like, this guy is, is genuinely insanely curious about why people do what they do. And that informs his work. And, um, and it also, it keeps you just, I think it keeps you engaged. It keeps you uplifted and it, and it allows you to look at adversity to a certain extent as just a curiosity Rather than, you know, this is something that's going to shut me down or it sucks. It's like, huh, okay, you know, maybe it went the way I planned or maybe it didn't. So how interesting is that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's super cool. And you do such a beautiful job of directing, you know, these organic conversations, but also, you know, allowing, like we said before, the conversation to be the star of the show. And I think that that's, you know, you do a really nice job with interjecting your opinion and your wisdom and your reactions and in the perfect spot. But is that kind of that really great listening skill that you have, um, but also knowing when to jump in and add value? Is that something that you built up over time or developed? Yeah. um, You know, I honestly don't know. It, It may come in part because in my very early days I was trained as a lawyer to take depositions and to you know do stuff like that and you learn very quickly that if you're not listening you just miss all sorts of incredible things so you just you you focus really intensely on listening and I mean part of it also is for me like part of what this is about is very personal it's a very personal quest so I I'm genuinely curious what does it mean to live a good life and I yeah. and and so part of the, the people that I, part of the, the reason that I pick the people that I pick is because I look at them as potential teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to learn. I want to learn from them. I don't want it to be, and you know, it's funny, we started mixing in these shorter, what we call jam sessions, where yeah, it's just me them. and They're talking great. head. And um, I'm really, I don't love doing them. Um, I, I do them you know, increasingly because people have been asking me to do them for so long because they're like, can we, you just like talk about one topic, kind of like short and sweet and tell us what you think about it. I'm like, all right, cool, I'll do that. But I'm just personally, I'm so much more interested in learning from other people, and and instead of just sort of like me sharing. So, so it's an interesting dance that I do. You know, yeah. um, for me, it's a lot more fun to uh, to do the conversations. And where I know it's for a lot of other people, and I have friends who you know have great podcasts and radio shows and web series that, who just love you know sitting there and and offering wisdom. But for me, it's always been I'm much more comfortable in the interviewer seat and in the um in the student seat. Yeah, yeah. The, you you actually talk about that quite a bit. It comes up in your interviews, and I, I would love to go in a little bit deeper there and kind of explore that with you because, um, you know, again, in my favorite, one of my favorites, um, with Danielle Laporte, I know you guys talk about, and it's really been on my mind, you know, since I heard it um, when it came out, you explore the using your ego, that ego need to be seen as an extrovert um, to kind of be your driving force to changing the world and giving in the world and doing good. 
But I'd love, um, you know, if we could kind of bring that up and go deeper because there's that also the contrast that you were just talking about right now between, you know, introverts having to work past their fear almost and they're not wanting to be seen but do it because they know that there's a need just like you were doing. So can you talk about that um, contrast between introverts and extroverts and entrepreneurship and in business? Yeah, um, it's funny. We actually just posted uh, something on this, but the um, so I, I'm I'm very much an introvert, not a raging, you know, like I I have to be away from people all day, introvert, but just um, I I need a lot of solitude and I enjoy solitude. And the the real difference between uh, there's a lot of confusion about introverts and extroverts, and a lot of people think introverts like hate people, they're antisocial, they have no social skills. Um, actually, a lot of introverts are incredibly social and they have great social skills, but they're what my friend Susan Kane, who wrote the book Quiet, calls selectively social, meaning like we kind of do better in small groups or individual conversations. And the big thing, the big difference is that for extroverts, your tank is on empty when you're not around large numbers of people. It's the large numbers of people that give you energy. Mm-hmm. Whereas for introverts, um, your tank gets emptied when you're around large numbers of people. It's the solitude that fills it back up. So, you know, I'll go on stage and speak to a thousand people. And and I love it. You know, it's an hour and I'm lit up and it's great and we're storytelling and I feel like there's an interaction with the audience. Um, but when I'm done, I don't want to work the room. I mean, sometimes I need to. That's just sort of the expectation. I'm cool with that. But but as soon as I can, I like to vanish. So, you know, if I'm somewhere where there's a, it's a large festival environment or something like that, I I go sneak away. And, um, and I make myself pretty scarce. And it's kind of funny because there have been times where um, word has come back to me that people have, may have thought that I was aloof or I didn't care, you know, because I kind of vanished. And, um, and it's, it's actually, it's, it's anything but. It's literally, I just have a need. You know, for me, I'm on empty at the end of that time. And I've loved it, but I'm on empty. Yeah. And I know that if I keep, if I go into that place, I just dig myself into a hole. So I just need to vanish to refuel for a while and then come back. So I think, it's really important to understand your your operating mode and what fills you up and what empties you out and to really honor your need to go back and forth, you know, and to keep dipping into the mode that fills your tank or else you grind to a halt really quickly, you know, and in a world where you have the opportunity to to build your own platform and to create an enterprise and create a lot of direct relationships with large numbers of people through social technology, it's a real a real challenge and a real balancing act for people who are more towards the introverted side of the spectrum. And um, so for me, it's just, it's a matter of constantly keeping my finger on the pulse of, of that dynamic and making sure that I'm setting aside the time to, to fill up. You know, I actually, I'm, I'm fortunate, even though I, I live in New York city, I'm a couple blocks away from the Hudson river and there's a, where I live, there's actually, um, there's, it's all preserved along the river. So I can literally walk a couple of blocks and sneak into the woods and just walk along a trail in the river, which nice. I do pretty regularly in the afternoons, just to go and you know reconnect with nature and reconnect with that sense of solitude and peace. Nice, nice. I think um, you know that Susan Cain, when she when I first heard that, I, I always considered myself an extrovert. Like I love people, I love talking to people, so I must be an extrovert. But that you know what you just spoke about there so beautifully was like that's the shift for me where I was like oh. I do like doing that stuff, but I do feel drained after. So I must, mm. you know, I, I fill myself up by, 
you know, spending time alone. And I need that alone time to, to get myself to a place where I can do what I want to do in the world. And I think that that was a really big shift for me. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting is when we, um, when we film um, the web series, we often, just because of the way that we produce a show, we often will film, um, we filmed up to five episodes in a day. Wow. Which I would have guessed that. Yeah, which can be so. By the end of that day, you cool. know, like I'm just, I there's nothing left inside. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing day. I love the conversations, but I come home and there's like I'm on, you know, absolute zero. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I would have never known that you, um, you're able to make them all so fresh and unique. It's super cool. So I guess with that, you know, is I would love your opinion on this. Is using that the ego need to be seen and, you know, want to be out in the world and want to, you know, have that platform. Is it okay to like use that as your driving force to know that you're going to do good in the world? Does yeah. that make sense? Um, I, I don't know if I'm the person who, who would be giving somebody permission to say that that's mm-hmm. cool or not, but, um, you know, we all have we all have an ego need to be seen. You know, we all want to be seen by somebody um, for who we are and to be, you know, and as much as, you know, it's supposed to come from inside of us and we shouldn't care about anything. We all want to be seen um, and accepted for who we are. Yeah, I think one of the differences is that um, introverts probably are just, we need to be seen and accepted by far fewer people to be okay. <laughs> right. um, but, I, you know, it's like saying, you know, is it okay is a tough question to, to, to answer because it's not changeable. I mean, it's kind of just wired into who we are. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's kind of a great answer right there, just a shift on that. So I guess now I'd love to kind of shift to entrepreneurship a bit and discuss how um, this came up in one of your recent conversations, um, how entrepreneur not, entrepreneurship now has shifted to allow people to build their community and their market first, kind of like how you were talking about with your story, mm-hmm. and then organically and authentically see what their community is asking for and then create something that people want to pay for from there. So um, I, I would love to kind of discuss that and, and explore that with you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the path has really entirely reversed. Um, it, it doesn't mean that every business is doing that. In fact, most still aren't. You know, the traditional path is a lot of people come up with an idea for a product or a service, and then they spend a whole bunch of time, money, and energy to create it. And then yeah, maybe they'll do a little bit of market testing along the way, and then they throw it out there, and they pray that they got it right. And most of the time, they don't. And then... Um, the people who are smart enough from there realize that they'll get it wrong and they listen to the market and they rapidly iterate to try and, to try and get it right in response to what the market tells them as quickly as possible before they run out of money. But yeah. that, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the, the old and the hybrid version of how to do it. But you know, the newer way to do it, if you're inclined to do it, is you can, especially with social technology, you can go out there and just by leveraging content – um, build a permission asset and you know build a community, build a tribe, a platform, and build a large sustainable um, group of people who want to have a conversation with you on a regular basis and who trust you 
they, they trust your opinions. They, you know, they they feel a sense of connection. They like you. There's a rapport there. And then over time, once you do that, you can kind of turn around to them and say, hey, listen, um, I've been thinking about a lot of the conversations that we've been having, and it seems like there are a whole bunch of problems that come up on a regular basis that I might be able to help you solve. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me what are some of the big ones, and if I can do it, I'll create a solution for you. And then you can build a product or service, not just, you know, based on what you think people want, but in response to very specific uh, feedback from the people who you've already gathered in your community um, to give them exactly what they want and to have them to have a very high sense of um, confidence that what you've created will land well and that the people who you've created it for are already there um, for you to serve you know, and, and to buy from you. And, um, and actually even, you know, you, you can do it, I mean, and, and there are all sorts of hybrids and all sorts of variants that are becoming offshoots of that now, like crowdfunding is, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. You can you can test all these ideas before you ever have to do anything. I mean, things like the Pebble Watch, you know, raise $10 million in orders for a watch um, built around uh, an iPod, you know, and they didn't have to, they got people to pay them $10 million before they ever had to spend any money to make anything. So, they they both proven the concept and they've got a large audience waiting. Um, not just of people who say they want it, but of people who've actually said they want it and paid in advance to get it. Yeah. So it's the dynamic is changing in so many ways. And I, I know a lot of people get you know the, the thing is it takes time and energy every single day consistently um for a fairly long period of time to build that community and it's not an overnight payback thing. So there'll be a lot of people be like, uh, you know, I've been doing this for two or three months and it's just not working. And it's because it doesn't work in two or three months. Mm -hmm. You know, it can work for, it can take months longer or years to build that audience. Um, but, but the thing is once you have built that community, it's a tremendous asset to keep going back and saying, and what can I solve for you now? And what can I solve for you now? And you can build, you know, all sorts of multi-tier solutions for that community. And the community continues to build as you're doing that. And you don't have to go out and, you know, traditionally every time you, you know, you would launch a product, you'd have to pay a ton of money to market, to advertise, to let everybody know this is here. Now you have, like, all you have to do is send an email. Yeah. Your platform's right there. Yeah. It's, it's, that's so amazing. And, you know, I've seen it on a, on a smaller scale in my in my own life, even just I think bloggers can kind of relate to this. A lot of bloggers, you know, I know for me, like it was just people coming to me being like, oh, I see you do yoga. You eat this. What do you eat? What do you do? What do you? And it was like too many questions from people mm. on Facebook and stuff. So I, yeah. I just thought I, I want to make this place where I can send all of them and help them because it's just because they're asking. And, and that's what I did. And I think, you know, it's really inspiring and and awesome because, you know, the people that are in my tribe or my wellness wonderland, I love them and they mm. love me. And, you know, it's only going to grow. And I think it'll, it'll only give me the opportunity to give them more. And eventually they'll be able to, you know, give give me something and eventually it'll be a business. And I think that um, that just that's an amazing way to build a business when I can help people with what they're asking for. And it just that was a huge shift um, learning that from from you. So thank you yeah. for exploring that. 
And, and I, I take no credit. I mean, it, <laughs> we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And like, you know, I was, I, love that I, I, I was fairly early in the blogosphere, but there were people who were way earlier than me. And I, you know, became friendly with a lot of them and we kind of learned together, but I learned a lot from them. So it's, I didn't make it up. I've just sort of, you know, continued it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job. And, and I guess that's the, one of the beauties of the internet of, you know, bringing so many people together globally. And that, that's just been really awesome. You know, like today we're not in the same city or the same state, but we're able to have this conversation. And I guess, you know, that's, that's another concept I'd actually like to explore is, um, and I think you talked about this with Leo, but the, the difference between being local and being global and, Mm -hmm you know, bringing back the importance of face-to-face human interaction and human connection. And I love that the Good Life Project is that it promotes that, you know, you're in there, you're, you're in their kitchen, or you're in their DJ studio, or you're, you know, actually get your hands dirty with these people. I think there's so much to be said for that, um, even if it can't be done all the time. But it's really it really helps us, you know, like you said, really feel like we're there. But could you talk about that, um, the other side of that, where the internet does allow um, us to be more global and um, kind of being less local and how you keep yourself local, even though you are so global on the um, web? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really, it's um, it's a constant dance and you're always, there are pluses and minuses of both things. The, uh, the internet is a phenomenal way to have global reach to have conversations and build relationships with people across the world i mean it really flattens the world so on any given day i'm chatting back and forth with people in australia in asia and india in uh you know so many different countries michigan Michigan, right we have viewers you know good life project viewers are more than 160 countries now and so it's amazing to me when i look at how easy it's become to do that. You know, the flip side is that you will never get the depth of impact online that you can have face-to-face. So I think there's a real balancing act. And, and I think sometimes that when things go entirely virtual, we lose a certain amount of humanity and a certain amount of opportunity for impact when we keep it that way. So I'm always looking for the opportunities to to make the first point of contact and to start to build the relationship digitally, but then bring it to the realm of face-to-face, um, you know, our IRL. Uh, so be- because I just think that we're losing that to a certain extent, that so much communication, the expectation is it'll be fast, shallow, and digital. And like I said, I, I'm I'm not a Luddite, so I don't discount the value of that, but I think it's, that's the start of the conversation. It's not the whole conversation. And increasingly, people are looking at it as the whole conversation. And that's my concern, that we lose a certain amount of, of humanity and impact. So I think it's amazing to have conversations like this. You know, you and I can get to know each other. But I guarantee you that if we then you know, bumped into each other at WDS or somewhere else and had a cup of coffee that the nature of our relationship after that would be very different than it is after a whole bunch of conversations online. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, and that being said, I, well, first of all, I hope we do get a cup of coffee sometime. And secondly, I've made some great friends online, but it, there's just something to be said for that 
in-person connection. It's um, something that you just, it, it helps get to that point in conversation. And I think with everything moving so fast, it's hard to go right right away deep into the conversation because you know when you are online it tends to be like a fast email or a fast interaction and you don't get you cut away a lot of the fluff but the fluff is kind of important sometimes right yeah and i mean and on a i guess on on a bigger level too maybe a subtler level um the speed of digital conversation is setting expectation for the speed of real life of face to face conversation yeah. that i don't think is yeah. helpful because yeah. then it's kind of like okay you know now we get to see each other at conference or now we get to see each other here well let's use the same sound bites you know and let's kind of like keep it really fast and furious because i got things to do i got people to see um rather than you know let's dial it back <laughs> let's yeah. just hit pause and enjoy the moment and you know, I think this is also, you know, it's funny. Um, I think a, a solid chunk of this is about American culture too. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking like this is just internet culture. and But I think to a certain extent, it's, it's American culture. It's to a certain extent like uh, Japanese digital culture or certain Asian countries that um, we have sort of like the hyperspeed digital um, relationship ethic going on. But there's still, you know, I think there are definitely still cultural, um, there's a big cultural dimension to the expectations about conversation, both online and offline. I mean, if you go to a lot of places in Europe, the expectation is still, we're going to sit and we're going to take some time and we're going to slow down. Like if I see you face to face and we're at a cafe in the Champs-Élysées or something like that, or, you know, like somewhere in Europe, we're we're just going to chill. Um, but Americans don't function that way all that often. Yeah. Yeah. I think getting back to that and just, you know, mindfulness helps with that. Yeah. Hugely. Um, so with that, I would love, this is a question I ask everybody who comes on the show and it's like my favorite thing to know about people. Um, and I think it can really give a glimpse into them as a person. So could you walk us through your morning routine and maybe the first few things you do when you wake up and any specifics and why that's important to how the rest of your day goes? Sure. Uh, so I wake up at about the same time every day. Without, I don't use an alarm clock. My body's just kind of wired to be up at about 6.40. And um, I'm not... I'm not human or sociable <laughs> at that time in the morning. Um, my the rest of my family is not up. Then I wander over into uh, my. I have a home office and a meditation cushion, and I sit and I I sit in mindfulness meditation for 25 minutes every day, and and then I just uh, sort of give an offering, and from there I, I I may depending on time of year or what I'm doing, I may or may not do some exercise or some yoga or some movement. And that's kind of a pretty typical start to every single day. And then right around that time, my wife and my daughter are waking up and we start to run around a little bit and, and get her ready to school. And then one of us will take her to school and then and then it's off to work. Then every day after that is can be radically different. But that's, you know, that's my ritual. Um, and especially the meditation, mindfulness is something which is sacred. So that practice follows me everywhere and anywhere, no matter what. That's how the day starts. Yeah, I think a morning routine, especially for entrepreneurs, but actually just anyone in general, is just crucial and really affects the rest of your day. 
Yeah, completely agree. So with that, on the other side of that coin, could you walk us through your evening routines and some things you do at the end of the day to relax and unwind? And, you know, especially, again, being an entrepreneur, getting out of that work mode, how do you kind of come out of it? Uh, so you're asking an entrepreneur how they come out of work mode. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, that is a bigger challenge for me. There's no doubt. You know, I'd love to say that I have a ritual that le- allows me to wind down every day like clockwork. Um, you know, r- right now we are in massive building mode. You know, we're building assets. We're in program design. We're in huge expansion mode behind the scenes in ways that that isn't readily apparent on the front facing side of what we're building right now. So, so there's um. Yeah, you know, there's a huge amount of work to do. So it's not a, it, it wouldn't be unusual for my daughter to go to bed and for both me and my wife to work for a couple more hours. And then but then sort of like as we wind down, like my thing is um to to read, just to take something and take my mind and use that as transition time. I don't watch much T V. Uh it just I don't know. <laughs> Except for the occasional Orange is a new black show, which is awesome. Um but if for me I got too much to do to watch TV, or at least it's just not a not a super draw for me. But uh, I, for me, the wind down is very often reading. That's kind of what gets my mind to just start to unwind a bit, yeah. and and getting away from screens. Yeah, I think that's important, and um, I you know I'm I complete I don't even have a TV, but I agree, and I loved your video on that actually about. You know, using t- if you're using it to numb out, then that's not okay. But if you're using it as like a creative experience, then um, it's a totally different thing. And I'll link that video below because I think that can be super helpful for people. I know it was a shift for me. Mm. So um, with that, with all of this expansion that's going on, my next question for you is what are you doing in your life that you're afraid of but you're doing anyways? How are you challenging yourself and excited right now? <laughs> the easier question is, what am I doing in my life that I'm not afraid of? Because there's not much, honestly. Um, we, To me, I look at uh, that visceral feeling that people would interpret as fear as a signpost that I'm doing something new and different. I'm pushing myself to grow, and I may well fail. And um, And if I don't feel like that, that to me is something to be more fearful of. Because that tells me that I'm in a sideways slide and, and I don't want to be there. That's what, not what life is about to me. So I wake up in the morning and I constantly feel that I'm doing things where I have no idea how it's going to end. I mean, we are, we're bringing on teams, we're building assets, we're committing substantial amounts of money to you know, non-refundable things and events and doing all sorts of things. Um, you know, I'm about to start working on my third book and all of those things, there's no guarantee that any one of them will work. So we're taking significant risks. And, um, you know, all of those things, they matter to me. They matter because I enjoy doing them. They matter because the teams that we're putting together to work on them, I love dearly and I love working with them. I, I want them to flourish. Um, and they matter because we're creating things that I hope will make a difference in people's lives. And, and move the needle in some meaningful way. And I hope they don't fail, but there's no guarantee that, that they won't. And sometimes they do. I mean, um, and, and if nothing ever fails, you're probably not going to the place you need to go to to really see, see if you're functioning at the level of potential that you're capable of. So, you know, for me, I've 
probably developed enough of a, a daily practice to be able to maintain a fair degree of equanimity in the face of a lot of uncertainty. And so I, so I pushed into that place on a pretty consistent basis, and I lived there um, a good part of my waking hours. Yeah, you really made friends with it, and it sounds like it does kind of get easier over time. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think it organically gets easier, but I think when you do the work to make it easier, you just get more comfortable with the fact that it has to be there to do meaningful work. Um, it ha- it, if you want to grow to a certain extent, it's just part of the process. So you learn to um, you learn to expect it, and you learn to you know. It's, I wrote my last book largely because I wasn't good at handling it, but I saw that other people were, and I wanted to know if it was genetic or if it was trainable. And if it is trainable, then how? Because I, I didn't want to bleed anymore, you know, in the process of creation. So that's a lot of what it was about for me, you know. And it was amazing because that's, you know, that's the time that my mindfulness practice really became super important, and that I learned a ton about how to be okay in that place. Yeah, super interesting. So, I guess with that and and how you're pushing yourself now. I'd love to know, and hopefully I can articulate this properly, but what what I mean is how you hold space for so many people. Like, you, do you ever feel your impact and the impact that you're having on so many people? And just how do you, like, when you go to bed at night, do you ever feel like, wow, you know, somebody in Singapore is listening to The Good Life Project and somebody in Australia read my book? And do you ever just go to ni- to sleep at night and just, you know, how do you really stay in that and, like, soak it up and feel it and really feel all the goodness that you've created? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I get more positive um, feedback from this from the Good Life Project than anything I've ever done in my life in terms of a professional endeavor. And I, I, what's interesting is that I don't thrive and I don't seek external validation a whole lot. That's not, it doesn't mean a ton to me because that's not why I do it. Right. You know, I do it because I want to do something that matters um, with people that I can't get enough of. And so, I, you know, I do get a lot of that, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, uh, but it's not why I do it. So it doesn't. I don't sort of swim in the effect of it. But but I will say that every once in a while, someone will share a story with me, you know, something deeply personal that you know moves me to tears, and those are the moments where you know I realize that what we're doing, um, it's really it's it's powerful and. Um, Part of it is also I'm really bad at accepting thanks and compliments. <laughs> um, and that's part of my work right now, actually. I've sort of acknowledged that recently publicly and said, okay, part of my work is I need to learn how to be okay with this. I need to learn how to just say thank you and just embody it and and let it sink in because for whatever reason, the way that I'm wired, um, I, it's never been an easy thing for me to receive. Nice. That's great that you've been able to identify that and make it a learning experience so all right so let's wrap up with some quick fire questions you ready for it it's funny we were just talking about everything speeding up but right here we go this will be fun so favorite color sage Ooh, nice favorite thing to do for fun play with my family favorite day of the week 
Yes. <laughs> Hour of the day. Mm. Sunrise. Favorite vegetable. Um. Mm, good one. Uh, sweet potato. Favorite fruit. Apple. Best meal you've eaten recently. Uh, gluten-free pasta at Bistango in Manhattan. Nice. <laughs> Oddly enough. <laughs> it's amazing. What is the best part of the life you've designed for yourself? Um, the fact that I get to play with people that I love all day long. Mm, love that. If you could have a superhero power for a day, what would it be? Mm -hmm. So this is a rapid fire part, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. These are like deep thought questions. Um, for a day. Uh, uh, probably the, the ability to heal people. Mm, nice. What is the best lesson you've learned recently? I guess you kind of just mentioned it about receiving maybe. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big one. And also um, trust other people to join you in your journey. Mm, nice. Favorite movie? Mm. I don't know if I have one favorite, but... Ferris Bueller's Day Off is pretty high up there. That's a great one. That's a great one. Favorite book? Huh. These are tough questions. They are. <laughs> um, I'm like looking at my bookshelf as I'm thinking about this. I guess um, this is one of those times it'd be good if I sent you the Q&A before, right? <laughs> um favorite book I honestly don't know if I have one favorite book um, probably because I have such a like broad set of interests that there's so many different books that are cool to me that's good you're a lifelong learner it's it's hard to choose yeah um, so of all of the um, all the episodes you and you just made a little compilation of this you ask everyone what it means to live a good life. So I would love to hear your answer to that question. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's still a learning process, which is why, you know, it's called a project and not a, a, a company. But um, it's, I, I kind of um, have a framework or a lens that has three major buckets and, uh, and it's contribution, connection, and vitality. And to the extent that I can, do things in the world with people um, that allow me to just keep circling around and filling those three buckets so that I'm connected with myself, with source, with nature, with the people who I care dearly about in my life so that I contribute to the world in a meaningful way and serve and that I am vital and healthy and alive and, and of sound mind. Those to me are the things that, um, that make a big difference. Mm, so good. So 
from that, I've adapted that question um, into my own. And I ask everyone who comes on this show, you know, I offer the term wellness wonderland to them much in the same way that, that you do with the, with good life. And, mm. um, you know, what it means to what would this place, a wellness wonderland be like? And it's probably pretty similar to, you know, what you just described with um with good life, but I would love to actually offer you the term of wellness wonderland and what comes up with, with those words for you. Yeah. Uh, barefoot beachfront, warm, uh, great food, cool breeze, writing, um, chilling with my wife and daughter. Mm, That sounds amazing. Jonathan, thank you so much for all of your answers and for, you know, being in the hot seat this time and and letting me play um, your role. It was really awesome. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.